This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know these things trend. Even in the preseason, things tend to happen in threes. There have already been two media fines as of today. Let's not make it three people. Danny Sarek, Darren Urban, yours truly, Pauly Podcast over here. I mean, let's set expectations. Okay, that would be the absolute floor. Let's not get fined. Now, whether you can reach the ceiling, the ceiling is the roof, Danny, if you're paying attention, according to Michael Jordan. The ceiling in the preseason obviously is still set by the standard Bears who are the Baltimore Ravens. The preseason win streak is now 24 games in a row, going all the way back to the final game of 2015, I believe. So It's an amazing stat, really, Paul. It really is, Darren. Don't think you'll ever achieve that sort of preseason glory to win 24 games in a row, but you can go down swinging on this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. I am going to do everything I can every time I'm on the field, Paul, or a podcast, to come out victorious. And you were most definitely on the field today and yesterday because that field was outdoors. Yes, it was warm. Has everybody hydrated accordingly and properly? Yes. I have a fan at my desk so I can turn it on and cool off when I get back inside. (laughs) And we were under the shade for most of the time, too. It was not as humid as it was Tuesday, but it was... It was a little toasty. So now put on pads and run around in the direct sunlight for a good hour and a half plus. It's hot. I mean, I'd love to know what's what some of the body weights are before and after a practice that's, like that's that. A good question. I, I wonder. I wonder. If, I feel like though. I'd rather. I'd rather just if you're going to be out there in the heat. I'd rather just be in pads, running around, sweaty, knowing I could shower rather than. Being outside, getting sweaty enough to where I come into my desk and have to cool off and like reapply deodorant and some perfume so I'm not sitting in the media room smelling from being outside for two hours. And if anyone would know, it would be Darren because you two normally sit next to each other. So <laughs> where was that going? But I don't that's know. True. Okay, I, 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 I reapply deodorant and I spray. I'm, I'm trying to be considerate of you, Darren. It's very kind of you, Danny. The Thanks. fact she brought that up. Is that maybe a message <laughs> to you, Darren? It was not. Is that it a roundabout? Really here, is that a roundabout? Not. Here's what I'm doing. I wish you would do the same. It was not. We'll get. We'll revisit that a little bit later. So preseason <laughs> week number two, at least on the game schedule, Cardinals getting ready for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're coming to calling. Preseason week number one, obviously culminated in the game Friday night. Friday night lights against the Denver Broncos. Likes, dislikes, let's just get some basic takeaways here. Danny Sarek, your batting leadoff. I think when you're thinking about what you want to see from a preseason game, not just in terms of effort or technique, but I thought the game was clean overall. 
um, it's it's hard because this is a different coaching staff, so I don't want to get into the habit of necessarily just complaining or comparing last year to this year because things are Freudian so different. There. <laughs> but didn't seem like they had a hard time getting the plays in, right? They weren't waiting that, you know, the clock running down. It wasn't the last second that they were calling a play or having to call a timeout because the play wasn't being called. Pre-snap penalties, there was one, I believe. Yep. Right? Penalties, which had been an issue for this team in years past. So I think overall, the game looked clean logistically. Obviously, things you want to see cleaned up. Um, the quarterbacks both at times looked a little shaky. I don't know if that was maybe more so nerves and just kind of getting settled out there. But I think overall, with what you're hoping to see in a first preseason game especially, I thought that logistically it was seemed at least pretty clean and pretty fluid. You know, I've gone back, I've listened to a number of the broadcasts from last year trying to get ready for the preseason, right, and filling in for Dave Pash, and you forget how often the Cardinals fought the play clock as an offense last season. It was always the Cardinals against the opposing defense and one half eye on the play clock. Oh, I mean, how many timeouts were utilized to save the delay a game? I mean, it was chronic. It was constant. So the fact that not once, I don't think, we ever even cited the play clock no. as an issue, that is significant. It, well, especially in a first preseason game, you're yes. assuming something's going to happen. New offense, a new offensive coordinator. You have a rookie quarterback who played the majority of the game. So, In fact, they were so good about making sure that the plays were getting off on time that Jonathan Gannon even used a timeout to make sure the Broncos got a playoff in time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was a little <laughs> confounding. That that had us in the booth there for a moment as to exactly the rationale behind that. But, yeah, as a team that led the NFL in pre-snap penalties a year ago and you had one illegal formation because there weren't seven men up on the line, somebody screwed up who's up, who's back, which if you watch any of the other preseason games on NFL Network, I mean, that's that's just a constant. There's at least a half dozen of those per game seemingly in most preseason games, but – there was only one by the Cardinals. I thought the tackling, normally preseason game number one, tackling is poor, is below average, suboptimal. I, I didn't really think of any really poor tackling moments. It, it wasn't rife with bad open field tackling, at least, which is always a question mark. Uh, Darren, other likes, dislikes? I mean, I, I think, I think the – the pass rush and the pressure they got on Russell Wilson, that that really resonated considering how much we wondered about that. Now, again, preseason, no game planning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, I liked what I saw. I thought Zayvon Collins looked fairly natural as an outside linebacker. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Gardick continues to play pretty well. On this defensive line, there was a couple guys that flashed, and you're like, oh, okay. Now, the Chiefs are a different ball game. I'll be curious to know – if they're able to go against the first team uh, Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes and, and what that means. But, I mean, all you can do is measure at where you are right now. And what we've seen so far is one preseason game, and it, it came out there, was, there were more pluses than minuses in this game, in my opinion. You know, I, I cited the front seven against the Denver Broncos as a plus, as a surprising positive, because you were just uncertain what you were going to get. 
Drew Stan thought I was being a little harsh when I said, well, do you measure it and, and try and adjust for the fact that the Broncos have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL right there with the Rams and the Carolina Panthers? Uh, he thought that was a little harsh, maybe, but I'm curious to see how they go, do against Kansas City, especially if KC's playing the number one O-line because they are known for having one of the best interior O-lines in the NFL. Now they replaced both their starting tackles, Kansas City did, and they went with a couple of free agents who Pro Football Focus had rated 66th and 67th in the NFL last year. So we'll see if Patrick Mahomes can pull that off. We know he won a Super Bowl after he lost Tyreek Hill. He just lost two more receivers. They have started a different running back each of the last five years. So there's been a lot of different guys, both in terms of weapons and linemen, who have been plug-and-play around Patrick Mahomes. And obviously, they've hosted now five straight AFC championship games. That just made me think of Paul of last year, week one, opening up against the Chiefs, and we heard in hindsight how the defense, because a lot of the starters didn't play in the preseason, how they felt just unprepared. And I'm intrigued to see Isaiah Simmons, how much time he gets, and if we're going to get to see a matchup with tight end Travis Kelsey, right? That was kind of the idea yep. of how Simmons was going to be used last year. When you look overall, I'm not sure how, how successful you would deem that play like as a whole from him when it came to those kinds of matchups so the way he's being utilized now it'll just be kind of interesting to see how much time he'll have against Travis Kelsey and how he'll you know fare out I mean obviously if, if they both play we can't expect a lot of snaps so you can't expect to see a lot but it would be an interesting matchup based on last year and honestly that week one game might have been the worst game by the Cardinals defense all year yeah just based on the fact they were discombobulated Isaiah Simmons Quality late, word, by the way. Late in that game. It's not on the bingo card. No. They removed the green dot from Isaiah Simmons and gave it to Zayvon Collins for the rest of the year. So calls weren't getting in, adjustments weren't being made, the checks weren't accurate. So they are out of position and out of sorts for the majority of that game. We'll see what happens. Once again, it's about evaluation. It's not about getting the win necessarily. But when you do get a win and you're a brand new first-time head coach with first-time coordinators – it's not nothing, as they say, because to me, guys, and agree or disagree, and I know you will, when you're new on a job, if you can get that W, it just helps generate buy-in. It helps prove everything you're doing is working. It eliminates any questions as to, okay, does the new guy know what he's doing? You got the win. It was very clean. Even their strategy at the very end of letting the Broncos score, 90 seconds on the clock, you go 10 plays down the field, you score the touchdown, and then the two-point conversion, everything worked <laughs> precisely as you drew it up. You know, and then to beat the biggest football mind this side of Todd Graham and Sean Payton, uh, you know, I thought that was a plus as well. So, you know, you had a lot working for you, I thought, on Friday night. Man, all these shots fired early on. It's just the preseason, Paulie. Um, i got to pace myself for Saturday night. I will I, – I agree. Like, it did feel like a lot of things went right. Like I said, I, even the things that went wrong, I mean, there was a couple things you could notice. But there, I, my guess is there's probably a lot more that we couldn't even notice, which also is a good sign, quite frankly, when the things that go wrong aren't so obvious that – Somebody's got to tell you what's what. Um, I did. I do think, you know, DJ Humphreys was talking about this week where, you know, what does the win mean? And he goes, look, you know, you're when you're on the field and you're playing a game, you're not thinking it doesn't count because you're just in a game. And it, and it does 
you know, any time that we competed, any of us, like when the three of us would compete growing up, like even if you're just playing some kind of sport against your friends and it's not necessarily in the league, you still want to win. And so I think there's a lot of that. I mean, it's easy to kind of brush it off if you lose, but I, I do think there was something to it. And the, and the way it happened, too. I mean, it was there was there was a little bit of emotion behind it. And you put in all this work and then you get this emotional last second win, whether it counts or not, it's still kind of cool. I think there's a difference between whether or not it counts and whether or not it matters. And this game doesn't count in the long run in terms of standings, but it does matter. It matters in terms of logistically how this new coaching staff worked together and not just calling plays, but with their position groups and and working together as an entire staff for the first time, many of which their first taste of an NFL game, not just your head coach. Uh, and, you know, Jonathan Gannon's first, not his first NFL game, but as head coach. And also the players who are obviously trying to earn a roster spot. And it's not just rookies, right? We're not just looking at Davion Davis or Kane Davis at wide receiver. We're not just looking at those players. We're looking at quarterback battles of Clayton Toon and David Blau. Did Clayton Toon do anything to set himself further from David Blau as your second string quarterback or did David Blau maybe do something that made you think hmm, maybe there's a little more competition there looking at the cornerbacks I mean there's so much that still matters about these games and again not just those younger players what about the offensive line was there anything that stood out enough between Kelvin Beecham and Josh Jones if you don't necessarily feel like you need to keep two swing tackles so while these games don't count they do still matter on multiple levels I will say on that last topic, the mere fact that it was uh, Beecham that got the start for DJ Humphreys at left tackle over Josh Jones, I think, says something. No doubt. And I think Danny's correct. It's probably either or. It's probably a swing tackle. It's either Kelvin Beecham or Josh Jones. You look, and we cited this in the offseason, did we not? What is the status of the entire 2020 draft class? Third rounder Josh Jones, and then the fourth round defensive lineman, Lecky Fotu, who right now appears to be a starter. Richard Lawrence, not so much. But we did call his name a few times in the second half. In the second half, though. In the second half. And playing till the end of the game. That's usually not a great sign. Same deal with Antonio Hamilton. We obviously called his name on a pick, and he could add another one, but he's playing in the second half. So what does that mean exactly when Keytrol Clark and Christian Matthew? Does that mean don't look too far into the official depth chart? Is that what we're getting well, at? perhaps. <laughs> in that case, although it's funny you bring that up because while the Hamilton was listed as a starter last week and continues to be a starter, listed as a starter, the – Three starting defensive linemen were the three starting defensive linemen on the depth chart, yep. which surprised me a little bit. I would say in general, though, where the Cardinals are right here, right now, hitting the reset button, if a player is deemed the future, then the future is now, meaning Paris Johnson Jr. You're the future. And guess what? That clock starts now. You're starting at right tackle. If Keytrell Clark or Christian Matthew – is every bit the corner that Antonio Hamilton is? There's no doubt in my mind one of those two will start over the 31-year-old Antonio Hamilton. If you represent the future, a John Gaines over a Pat Elfline, if you're looking for that backup center. By the way, Yelda Froholt, that was a, I had no idea Yelda Froholt did that to, it, to Zach Allen. 
course, Zach Allen's jumping for a pass, he and he's, he's off balance but and everything. Still, but still, they're just a, and to have it be noticed by a, yeah. a national guy yeah. who put out a tweet, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm just saying, if it, when in doubt, go with the player who represents the future instead of the present. Whereas the last couple of years, it was the inverse. It was, hey, we have playoff aspirations, we stay healthy, we can make a run in the postseason. Look at the teams recently have done that. That's not the case anymore, I don't think. So there's various position battles. How about an L.J. Collier? You talk about the defensive line. I think that's an intriguing story based on what's been said this week. L.J. Collier, four years ago, first-round pick out of TCU, late first round by the Seattle Seahawks, never materialized. There was one season, his second year in the league, he started all 16 games, semi-productive, otherwise a lot of nothing to speak of. And the 12s will speak on it. They were not fans of L.J. Collier. But when you start to hear the head coach talking about we're using him differently than he's been used in the past, what's best for our team and what's best for him and his skill set, and he's done a good job of playing with, quote, different techniques that we've tasked him with, and that he has a mean streak. We saw him getting kicked out of one camp practice. And that if you can really believe the words, he has a high motor. Because I think Seahawks fans would tell you otherwise. But if all of a sudden he's that much more enthused because, as he told the media, he feels like he's being utilized the right way, man, that could be a real find in that defensive line. L.J. Collier, number 91. Look, and that's that's a spot that didn't scream as high of a need maybe as other positions this offseason. But when you lose Zach Allen, when you lose J.J. Watt, that is a need on that defensive line and and stopping the run and being a force inside um, and being a force in the box. And so, you know, that is what you want to hear is that this coaching staff, as well as the players, and it's not just LJ, it seems like they are really finding a way to use the players best to their abilities. And I think about it sounds really similar to what we heard from Isaiah Simmons a week or two ago uh, out at State Farm Stadium when we were still doing training camp out there about how Simmons went to the coaching staff and said, I want to play safety. I don't want to do the hybrid with linebacker and safety. I want to master one position. This is where I feel most comfortable. And the coaching staff listening to that and making their own evaluation. And it just kind of sounds similar as a general theme, which is something we've also touched on, on maybe especially on defense, focusing on getting your best players out there rather than sticking with a hard 3-4, 4-3, whatever kind of scheme you're going to want to run and really focusing on getting your best players out there and, and adjusting from that on what makes sense for them. And don't think like D-line in particular isn't still really fluid. Even though you had the three starters on the depth chart yeah, who did start the right. game, we were standing down there before the game talking with some of the assistant coaches. And, for example, they mentioned how they are like 96, 92, and 94. All had great weeks of practice. Keep an eye on those guys, meaning Carlos Watkins, Kevin Strong, Eric Banks. And we called all their names over the course of that game. And, of course, my eye still goes to Rashard Lawrence because he's been here and done that. And But there's a lot more guys maybe contending for that D-line final roster than you imagine. And, and, and to your point earlier, Danny, these games are going to be the difference, the production and what you can put on film in these three against these three preseason opponents. I do feel like from what we've seen, not just from that first preseason game, but also in practice, it feels like that's – that position is truly going to be a rotation. 
is is what I kind of pick up of you're not just going to stick with the same three and that it really will be a rotation, which is something Gannon has talked about also with his outside linebackers. Gannon has said on more than one occasion, pretty much if your number is called up on game day, you can expect to see the field. It's one of those things, though, when you look at the roster and you look at those two positions in particular, quite frankly, that can't really surprise you. They do not have a Chandler Jones at outside linebacker. They do not have a J.J. Watt on the defensive line. I mean, they don't have anybody of that ilk where you would say, we're going to pencil this in. And, and really, let's face it, even on the defensive line, um, for most teams these days, unless your name is Aaron Donald, you're not playing the, all the snaps because you're going to rotate in. Um, it's one of the things that made the Eagles so successful last year was because they did have so many defensive linemen that they could yeah. keep putting in the same point. level of talent. Yeah. So I'm not well, surprised there's going to be a rotation but like we've talked about before, coming into this camp, you could make arguments for almost all those defensive linemen to make the team or not make the team. Yep. And I don't know if how much of that has changed at this point. And that's what's so intriguing because we don't totally know what the coaches are thinking, what Monty Austin for. I can't believe they are, they're not just giving you all that information, Paul. In fact, I Did checked. You say Danny, can you Danny, can you get that in your pregame interview with uh, Jonathan Gannon? I don't want to take it away from Paul. Just say please next time. So earlier today, while media members were getting fined, one for a cell phone going off, another for being tardy to the press conference, um, tardy. there Come was on, a man. question about – What's the old Van Halen lyric? I don't feel tardy. There's, there's, <laughs> the, there was a question about the rotation at outside linebacker, right? And, yeah. and, and Jonathan Gannon was positive about it. What I really wanted to follow up with, but I was a little intimidated at this point because two media members had already been fined, and I want to ask the dumb guy question, but what's realistic in terms of number of edge guys in a rotation on game day? Because right now, what's realistic? Realistic, like how many can you feasibly use in a rotation on game day? Because Zayvon Collins and Dennis Gardeck appear to be oh, ostensibly you- are the starters, but we've all you know Cam Thomas and My J Sanders, third round picks from last year. I thought Cam Thomas had a really good game, had a sack against Denver. Denver. My J Sanders, I think, as as popped a little bit in practice this week. I'm curious to see what he looks like uh, in preseason game number two. And then of course you got the second round rookie B.J. Ojolari. At some point, you gotta imagine is gonna be a factor, and then on top of that, we've even seen Jesse Lucetta and Victor Demukeji run with the ones during practice. So, on game day, how many edge guys are you rotating in and out? Well, you could really it's it's like the old I'm gonna go with a hot hand in terms of running backs. I mean, you 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 do get a benefit of these are the kinds of guys that you're gonna want to have up anyways because those are the that's the bulk of your special teamers. So if that if they're going to be available, yeah, you could put them in there, and and if it's the right situation, like I'm curious to know, like is Dennis Gardick in your base defense? Like he's not your typical run defender necessarily. So do you want him out there? Or and and here's the other thing is we don't know. Like B. Joe Ojolari has barely been back to practice. So when he finally finds his rhythm, does that impact the depth chart? It very well could. Or Cam Thomas, for instance, who's been banged up this week and after the game and apparently is hurt right now but you know where where can he stand and he by the way did he lose weight like he looks more streamlined so here's the way and i confirmed this before the game when i I talked to him and because he told us in the big red rage last year he played at 255 he got up to 270 in the offseason but dropped his body fat percentage 
Okay. Wow. And then he lost, and then as expected, he lost five pounds over the first ten days or so at camp to get down to two sixty five. That's where he says he intends to play. He's two sixty five right that's now. That's what he said. He looks 265. pretty sleek for two sixty. What he also said, and this could be the subject of, uh, of a good story for azcardinals.com, Calvisi Consulting over here. He said he had sort of this body mass index study or some sort of test conducted, and they said he easily, feasibly could carry three hundred pounds. His brother is a 300-pound defensive lineman. His dad was a 300-pound football player once upon a time. So if you're thinking, dot, 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 that he might end up like a Zach Allen down the line, yeah, he apparently does have the frame and the body type to handle something like that if that's the direction they go. So Cam Thomas is a work in progress in a lot of ways, both in terms of only a second-year guy who didn't get a lot of reps last year, but when he did, his name got called. Sort of like MyJ Sanders. When MyJ Sanders did get reps in games and the coaches felt like they could trust him, he made plays. He, he, he made noise out there. So I'm intrigued by both guys. Although I just had an alarm go off on my phone. We, we spend way too much time talking Cardinals football without talking about Clayton Toon. So we got to bring it back. I mean, there's no mention significantly of Clayton Toon yet. I mean, that's what the people Can, want I, in the I preseason. Oh, they want you, QB talk in the preseason. Did you uh, did you come up with some catchy phrase for Clayton Toon yet? Like I Andy or Hi Isaiah or any no. of these things. Thank, Do thank, we have a Toon one? No, you don't have to update your bingo card. There's been nothing. That's, oh shoot! I uh, forgot. No, I got no. a mark from the last one at State Farm Stadium. Remember when you said Hi Isaiah and I didn't have my card? Mm. Bingo. It's tough. It's tough the way that works, Danny. Bingo, Paul. No, I don't think so. I, I think the statute of limitations has run out on that, I, I believe. I can't believe you don't have a Clayton Toon-esque. It'll be on the next bingo card. I, I want to see it out of him. I, look, Bryce Young, number one pick in the draft. C.J. Stroud, number two pick in the draft. Will Levis, round two pick. Rookie quarterbacks everywhere in their first preseason game didn't look too capable. There were a lot of really bad rookie moments as a quick sideline to that the uh, anthony richardson was uh, named the starter uh for this season for the colts um it, bryce young the same with uh the panthers and it looks like cj stroud is going to be with the texans and quite frankly if you're a cardinals fan you've got to be praying that mm. cj stroud is oh. the starter right away for the texans and the only quarterback that looked worse than all those guys combined trey lance go watch the his playing time, because I did the other day, uh, Raiders and Niners. Ooh, that was, was that bad? That was. Uh, did you see that quote by Shanahan about Brock Purdy that he would have to melt to lose the starting job? Oh, then don't come to Arizona. Good one, Darren. Thanks. I thought it was a pretty good no. quote, though. Uh, it was a good quote. Anyway, I asked. You need to get those kind of quotes out of Gannon in your interviews, Danny. Because yes, sir. Speaking of, because we need Clayton Tune content, I asked Jonathan Gannon earlier today, what did we learn or what did he learn in particular over the course of his first NFL game? And Gannon said, among other things, just to focus on the details, get the details right. He's got to uh, get all the details right before he can have a realistic chance at having a successful play. And so it's all those aspects of being a quarterback and operating the offense and uh he's but he continues to get reps with that first team offense right and they said that he was going to see some stuff in practice by design from the cardinals defense this week to try and quote confuse the young quarterback so we'll see we'll see as for where it stands in terms of whether the rookie might have any chance of ousting colt mccoy i i think it was just verified what we've been saying all along that that's not happening I don't, Cole McCoy looks sharp enough, and Clayton 
Clayton Toon looked like a rookie enough that I'm going to stop talking. Danny? No, I agree. I think I think if anything, it still, it still feels like Clayton Toon is going to back up Colt McCoy, and then when Kyler Murray comes back, will be your third-string quarterback. It doesn't – the game doesn't feel like, you know, despite that game-winning touchdown by David Blau, it doesn't necessarily feel like Blau has done anything to take over that backup QB spot over Clayton Toon, which makes sense to me of – what you were saying earlier, Paul, of, you know, the time is now to start playing these younger players. And I think that's true to a certain extent. You're still wanting to put players out there who are going to give you your best chance to be successful. But when you're talking about a backup QB, I mean, we can assume that that's that's what the goal is with Clayton Toon, is to have him become the type of quarterback that you can rely on behind Kyler Murray, that if he needs to fill in the way that Colt McCoy has, that Toon can be able to do that. And so that that makes sense for me. I know some people are clamoring to have Clayton Toon start the season and, and all of that, and that just doesn't really make sense to me unless unless somehow Clayton Toon does surpass Colt McCoy and, and they feel that strongly about it. But from the sense of simply trying to get the rookie those reps, that that's just not the, the coaching staff, any coaching staff, isn't going to put their team and that rookie quarterback in that position. But I do like the idea of Clayton Toon getting most of these reps in the preseason games and and getting still getting those second-team reps in practice to really try and get comfortable in that role they want him to be in. But you can basically count the number of made men, so to speak, on this roster on one hand. It's Kyler, it's Buddha, it's James Conner. It's well, DJ we, Humphreys. You can kind of tell White. who were held out of the game <laughs> yes. and didn't yes. have to play even though they were right. healthy. Right. That's a good point. What do they all have in common? Yeah. All were on the sidelines by design, by the coaching well, staff. Kyler's still on pop. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You're right. And, and then Zach Ertz, who came off pop. So, okay. There's a guy who, year 11, but if he's healthy, he's going to play Zach Ertz. I mean, well, they still need, I mean, Trey McBride is. Has practiced a lot. Yep. I mean, Zach Ertz is needed on this offense, no doubt. And it'll be interesting to see. I'm assuming he does not play in the preseason, so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like in Week One if he's playing. Assuming he will. Well, not only that, and again, every injury, every rehab, and recovery is different. And I don't want this to come out in any sort of, you know, official comparison of ACL recoveries. But don't if you work, don't if, don't record this, Cody. Yeah, she doesn't we, want this. Can we turn off the record and you can just bring it right back on after? Um, if you're looking at the time Zach Ertz came back is four the, weeks before the, week one. Oh, I see. Right? Yeah. And so if you're trying to maybe get an idea of when Kyler Murray would come back, his injury was three or four weeks after Zach Ertz. But I guess the with the surgery, yeah. a good four-ish weeks. So then if you say that, that would put Kyler coming in if it were the same timeline. If it were the same timeline, which, as you just said, we right. everybody's different. I, I, and and I do think but that would be week five, right? So then, the, then the question becomes: if if that is what you think is possible, then you don't have Kyler on pup to start the year, right? Because you would want him practicing well before he's available to play. So you would have to keep him off of pup, which means using up probably a fourth spot for a quarterback on the roster unless you're thinking about just going ahead and having somebody on the practice squad and hope nobody takes them. 
I mean, with today's practice squad rules, would a David Blauer, Jeff Driscoll be eligible? Oh, yeah. They're eligible. They're for eligible. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it would, they, okay. Would, they would absolutely be eligible, yep. but they also would be free yeah. to be plucked at any moment. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with, you know, you, you could bring them up, but it would also, if you have somebody in the practice squad, you would also, it would also mean that you wouldn't be able to take advantage of the new third quarterback rule. True. Um, even if you had that practice squad quarterback up on game day. So, yeah. Look, I'm going to double down on what I've been saying for months. If if the Arizona Cardinals can fix the offensive line, and we won't truly know until week one, hello, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and Chase Young and Montez Sweat, um, that defensive line of Washington, by far the best position group. But if you can fix the offensive line by the Arizona Cardinals, I'm more than comfortable that you have enough weapons. And James Conner, Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore, Zach Paschal, Michael Wilson, Greg Dortch, Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, even Anoa Tangiai, and then you have Jeff Swaim. I think you have more than enough guys and weapons to distribute the ball and move the ball if you can fix the offensive line. Do they have – that all-pro receiver, wide receiver one, no. But you know what? It might actually help distribute the ball a little more evenly and keep defenses honest if you're not so reliant on that DeAndre Hopkins-type receiver that I, sucks all those targets his way. I've never really saw you as Mr. Sonny glass half full guy paul but here here we are i'm just i'm just looking well, he got it at the end there saying that deandre hopkins <laughs> sucks all the targets away yeah. <laughs> and honestly if you're a quarterback and you're thinking i have to get deandre hopkins x number of targets per game then how much does that actually harm the quarterback might not be a problem in tennessee so. with Traylon burks going down well, with an injury oh at practice boy, yeah I, we're talking about that i mean it's it's I still think you benefit from talent, and whether it's a DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, whatever. I mean, nobody nobody ever said to you, oh, why? The conversation always wasn't, why is Fitz sucking all these targets? It was always, get Fitz the ball more. So I'm not saying you're better without it, Larry okay, Fitzgerald. Just checking. I'm just saying that you still have enough, and it might be yeah, a, you I might agree. be keeping defenses a little more honest. Um, at the same time, a Zach Ertz in this offense – if you truly have play action, I mean, show of hands, can't we all see Zach Ertz on play action just working over linebackers in the middle of the field, down the seams, getting separation? What does he do best? Read coverage, find open space within zones. That's what everyone raves about. I can see Zach Ertz having a huge year if he stays healthy. Especially, I just I keep going back to what we heard from Kyler Murray say last season of how immediate that security blanket was with Zach Ertz, how Kyler had never had that at any point in his career and how immediate that connection was. And the things that Zach Ertz brings to this team, he is a true reliable receiver. And I just, I think that especially with Trey McBride not getting a lot of practice and reps throughout training camp for the undisclosed injury, we're not sure that he's dealing with. I just, I think there's still a lot that needs to happen and that jump in Trey McBride's game just kind of all around in terms of blocking we saw a little bit of that last year he didn't have a ton of opportunities that having Zach Ertz back as your starting tight end is huge for this offense especially when we've heard how much Jonathan Gannon wants to have 12-13 personnel out on the field I'll name drop 
Roy Jetstream Green, red-white practice down on the field just watching, and he was looking at Hollywood Brown and Rondell Moore who were running some of the reps in tandem and just their speed because Roy was one of the all-time great speed receivers the NFL's ever known. And he said, he said, he just turned and in general said, hey, play action. If you have an offense that's going to really feature play action, these, you're going to be able to hit these guys down the field. They can be more productive than they were in that spread offense we've seen the last four years just because the prospect of the run will get them single coverage and will take teams out of that too high shell look that was all where teams were so intent on keeping everything in front of them and did so quite often successfully to the point where the Cardinals' downfield passing game was non-existent to a large degree last year. That could change as well. I'm sure this could be a bit of hyperbole because I do not have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like I've seen in practice and and in the one preseason game, it feels like I've seen more play action in three weeks than I have in three years. I, I would say the numbers would bear that out. I mean, if Craig Grillo would actually get some work ethic this training camp That's and true. actually crunch the numbers, he we might know. Ass. I mean, come yeah. on now. Really? Can't spell Grillo without the AI. I have nothing bad to say about you, Craig, because I know you're listening. I'm seeing I have some I may have something bad to say about someone here real soon. Yeah, here we go. Here's the segue because Let's hear it, Paul. on the show rundown here, Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation Ding. Garrett Williams soon question mark. That's one of the bullet points. Am I missing something? Is there a Garrett Williams report and or sighting? No. Are we expecting the third round corner anytime soon? No, I mean I haven't I I, I just I think to myself this is a guy who tore his ACL in October. It's just kind of the same thought process you just had with Zach Ertz. Okay. He's been running on the sidelines. I mean, I, I haven't heard anything, um, and he doesn't get brought up very much because now Kyler is the story, or has been the story. Um, but, I mean, we talk about the cornerback situation all the time, and Keetra Clark I thought played pretty well the other day, and yep. whether it's him or Christian Matthew to be the other starter because I do think they're going to go young there. But, like, where does Garrett Williams fit into this? He was a third-round pick, and it's going to take him a while to get back up to speed. But at some point this season, I think he's going to be in the mix. I honestly, if he walked by right now, I wouldn't even recognize Garrett Williams. See, that's just rude, Paul. No, so when you say he's been running, like, for example, it was a weekend of camp, and Zach Ertz was running before one of the camp practices, Mm -hmm. and we saw it from the press box. And I think everyone, including myself, like, wow. Zach Ertz looks pretty good running full out, running routes on air, but wow, he's moving really well. So I'd love to say that I've seen Garrett Williams and could actually give you an assessment of how well he's moving, but I have no idea. I haven't even seen him out there. So, But that would be huge if you could get a Garrett Williams back and actually get him significant reps soon. And well, then, I'm, again, and then I don't know re- if it's going to be soon. And but. get him regular season action this year. The question is going to be, again, like, where does he – it's just like the Kyler William, uh, Kyler Murray uh, question now. Is, is I mean, Garrett Williams is on uh, the non-football injury list. It's not pop, but it's essentially the same rules. Um, what is, – is he still there to begin the regular season? Because if he is, then he's got to miss a month like Murray would have to. Or do you put him on the 53-man roster so he can get back to practice? Mm-hmm. And then you're just – not activating him every week until he can play. And by this this week, by the way, is sort of a dry run for the regular season, right? Isn't that the way Jonathan Gannon defines it? Isn't that what they're trying to emulate is going into this Saturday game against Kansas City? They've had what they 
want to trial run as a game week because then the week after they're going to Minnesota and then the week after that there's going to be final cuts and it's going to be Labor Day weekend and then boom you come out of that with Washington so this is the week where they try and simulate what practices and a schedule and meetings and everything all the above might look like as you get into the regular season correct yeah and that's to a certain extent Jonathan again I was talking about you know they're not going doing scout team out at practice they're not necessarily game planning for the Chiefs it's still more focused on them but it is the idea and kind of that routine to get as close as you can to emulating a regular week again it's still different because the first game was on a Friday and the second and third preseason games are on Saturday so that's still a little different but just trying to get players in the right mindset and have an idea and also the coaching staff I mean Gannon said there have been things where whether it's like the schedule or, you know, things the coaches are doing where he thought to himself, why did I make that decision back in June? Like, we need to change it to this. So it's important, again, for everybody involved, just with so many new things happening this season. By the way, he gave he gave us another saying, another JG-ism when it comes to the run game. There's cram the ball vertical, which will always be number one in the power pole. I, you know what, Danny? I'm, I'm waiting for Paul to get that tattoo, by the way. Then he gave us another one this week when asked about the O-line. He, you know, he said the objective is to, quote, create displacement. So if there's a big chunk run, you know, what did the O-line just do when they created a lane? They created displacement. I like that. It's sort of, I mean, it, it's sort of like there's a difference between high school and college. You know, it's the vernacular that goes along with it, create displacement. Yes. By the way, when, uh, when DJ Humphreys was asked who's the meanest dude in the O-line room, what was the answer again? He named uh, himself. Himself. Will said, Hernandez. Will Hernandez, yes. Paris Johnson. And then Paris Johnson. He Jr. said he's got a little a hole in him. I think is what he said, word and for he word. Did. That's a quote. That's a direct quote. You're and not. It, you're not even censoring it. That's the. That's the exact thing he said. He said Paris Johnson Jr. will drive you to the ground and then lay on you a little bit and just oh sorry I'm having a hard time getting up and you feel that forearm across your neck you know that kind of thing or I'll use your face to get up off the ground. With some of that old stuff, so that's uh, that's good. That was that was good to hear. Humphrey said that something he took from BA was that the two two type of players you could be a sickum or a woe player. Of okay, we need a little more from you, or okay, we're getting a lot from you. We kind of need to tone it back a little bit. And you want to be a woe player. And he said they have plenty of those, and it's fun to see. I I think it's fun to see DJ Humphreys talk to and talk about Paris Johnson. I mean, not many players when you're a left tackle and. Sixth overall draft pick is an offensive lineman who a lot of the assumption is that will be Humphrey's future replacement and Paris Johnson, who's currently playing on the right side. But you wouldn't necessarily expect to maybe see the type of relationship we have seen blossom between the two of them. And Humphreys has even said, you know, I want to be that type of leader, that type of person that's going to make him and this team better. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still here, right? Like I'm not worried about losing my job. I'm still here, but it's fun to see the two of them interact and hearing what Humphreys had to say about how Johnson played in his first preseason game Friday. But yeah, watching Humphrey say that Johnson is a, is a woe guy and kind of, you know, that's yep. a lot. Maybe tone it back a little. That's that's good to hear. That was always the B.A. thing. Yep. That was all, that, and I'd never heard it before B.A. And now and, and honestly, at first sight. Early in the career of Paris Johnson Jr., he definitely has some similarities to uh, D.J. Humphrey's personality in that outgoing, highly intelligent, good sense of humor, good smile, uh, has other interests beyond football. But on game day, look out. Different dude. We hosted D.J. Humphrey's Big Red Raid show for several years. 
right? Got to know him really well. But on game day, didn't even make eye contact with him. He was a different guy. And that's the way we've seen Paris, at least how Paris Johnson Jr. has been described to us. And my initial interview the day after he was drafted on the Big Red Rage as well, he, he talked about that, how he has like this 24-hour transformation process, how he just becomes this game day savage. And it starts the day before the game. And then when he wakes up, and then by the time they kick that thing off, he's ready to drive guys all the way into the Gatorade bucket. I love to see that firsthand because – DJ's got how many how many kids does he have right now? He's got another on the way. And he's just such a bubbly, yeah. lovable, friendly person that I'm thinking, how how do you get to be that type of savage when you're still at home playing dad to your kids who don't know any differently? I'd be curious to know what that process entails. It's 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 kind of I mean, you think about like you Will Hernandez is kind of Will Hernandez is the nicest guy. But so I So friendly. I wouldn't want to F with him on the refrigerator. Video. Yeah, there are guys you're right. Who on game day will scare you? You know whether it's DJ and his demeanor, Will Hernandez, just a yell to Froholt, and just you know the guy, you know Magnus for Froholt with his Atlas stones in the weight room. Okay, his reputation precedes him, but the guy who has that look in his eye almost all the time is Marquise Hayes, who DJ Humphreys also put in the top three of meanest dudes in that room. Big Mo, he calls him. I'm absolutely shocked. Maybe the most shocking non-happening of Cards Camp so far is that Marquise Hayes hasn't been involved in a fight. Well, Some sort of skirmish yet. Right, but it's highly discouraged now. So that's why it doesn't necessarily surprise me as somebody who's really trying to make the team and trying to maybe you know be a second stringer. Like That doesn't entirely surprise me because Gannon has made it clear. But it also doesn't surprise me to hear he was one of the names listed by Humphreys because be, I can for sure see that. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Vikings players. Yeah, that's where we got to see it. In fact, you see the brawl between the Ravens and, and Commanders early in that joint practice. In fact, there were two brawls. There was one between a receiver and DB, and then the second part two, the rematch, was former uh, Scottsdale Desert Mountain tight end Mark Andrews picking up a corner and body slamming him right to the uh, ground. That started another it's one. It's been the, the – uh, the Jets were practicing with somebody, I believe. Jets and Bucks. Okay. And they canceled the second practice in part because they didn't they didn't want things to get too heated before their game. And so they just had a bunch of fights in the first practice they had. And then today, apparently, there's been like five fights between the Rams and Cowboys. Well, that's a... Oh. And Cowboys. Yeah. Isn't it, 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 I believe it... Oh no, maybe. maybe well, I, I think I've I haven't seen a video. I think maybe you're thinking of the tweet I saw of um, Rams and Raiders. Maybe Max Crosby and Cam Akers. Oh, is that the one that I saw? I haven't seen a video, but I, I saw I, that. Some, was somebody said Micah Parsons got no fight. That today. was that was Cowboys versus Cowboys. Oh dear, they've had from mm. what I've seen two scuffles oh, at practice. See, I'm, yeah, I'm struggling was, keeping all my fights. That was straight. Cowboys against I apologize, Cowboys. Danny, thank you for setting me straight. Well, Darren's out of practice. There haven't been any fights really. The LJ Collier and Dennis Daly, but that was snuffed out quickly, and then boom, they had to have the walk of shame off the field. So, Darren, you're out of practice. You know, you, you, you knock some rust off. So, it's fair. Do you expect a fight against the Vikings or not? Yay or nay? Will there be Yay. a fight? Yay, and I'm here for it. And well, you're oh. obviously you're cheering it. Yay. Wow. Okay. Yay! Right. Sounds like Danny's trying to speak it into existence, honestly. She's so enthusiastic about the prospect thereof. So, okay. Well, Paul, I've got work to do. I've got to make a new bingo card because I have bingo from this one that took you a long time for me to hit. So I, have, have, uh, we have, I have Calvisi Consulting, oh, Dean, no. and Isaiah. Oh, Thank boy. you very much. Are we going to have Minnesota bingo? 
Are we going to bring them to minute? Because we're going to do a podcast. We will episode. do a podcast. Yes. Oh, if I can get it done in time, sure. No, I, I don't want to put you out, Danny. You know, let's let's not. You know, you got a lot of stuff on your plate. Is Dominion of American on the uh, on the bingo card, by the way? Because my new favorite player is Deuce Vaughn. Speaking of the Cowboys, have you seen this guy, the five foot five running back? His dad, Chris, is actually a longtime scout with the Cowboys, who I have done like some features on and stuff. So yeah, I've, I've known about Deuce, Chris Vaughn, you know, the second of of being out there out of Kansas State. Yeah, he's looked he's looked good from what I've seen online. The Deuce is loose. That is great. That's good stuff over there. So okay, all right. So uh, Danny wins on the bingo card, but to come full circle. It's 1-1, me and Darren. To come full circle, you have 23 to go to match the Baltimore Ravens preseason win streak. (laughs) And that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.